Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to Straight from the Source, uh, live from Stockholm. Uh, this is Michael Russo. Thanks for everybody for listening at home. And thanks for the, it's got to be Joe Smith, what, a couple hundred people here out at O'Leary's Hole here, right next to Avicii Arena. Yeah, apps. Uh, I was I was telling uh, everybody before we hit record here that um, I had no idea what to expect. I was so worried. So Joe, to be completely candid, is the one that com- did all the due diligence, all the work, the work to set this up. And uh, O'Leary's was so kind to give us the entire top floor of their giant establishment next to Avicii Arena. I had no. <laughs> I was so worried that nobody was going to show up and that they shut down the restaurant on a game night with the Red Wings and the Senators about to play. But uh, man, we are overstuffed in here. So really, really uh, thank, thankful for everybody. Thank you, everybody, for that. Out. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine if the Wild were playing well, huh? Um, <laughs> next, next global series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, really happy to be joined also by our colleague from The Athletic, Chris Johnston. Uh, I was just telling everybody, Chris, just a coup that we hired you uh, three weeks ago. Uh, also keeping your day job at TSN. Uh, but writing for us, incredible uh, sports writer, incredible uh, insider, and um, and thank you for joining us here on a night where you're about to run over to Gary Bettman's press conference. Well, thank you, Michael. I will say I've been to Sweden before, and this is not my first time in an O'Leary's pub either, so <laughs> I, uh, I know my way to O'Leary's whenever I get in this country. Yeah, well, thanks for everybody coming on out, especially uh, next to this uh, great, great arena that is going to feature four games in the Global Series this week, two with the Minnesota Wild playing against Toronto and Ottawa. Um, Joe, uh, we've been here since Monday. What an incredible city. You haven't gotten to see a lot of Stockholm yet. You've been here before with the Lightning, but you immediately after landing pretty much got on a train for Carlstad. Tell everybody about that. Yeah, it was a fun trip. As you guys know, there's a few wild players from Carlstad. Uh, three. Jo- three, yeah. Joe Eriksenek, uh, Marcus Johansson, obviously he lived there since he was 15 years old, and uh, Jonas Brodin, who I think been here like a decade or 12 years, I think, uh, but I don't know if anybody knows really much about him. He's just a quiet, soft-spoken guy, very humble. And so my quest through plane, trains, automobiles was going to go to Karlstad to see where he lived and his, see his family and friends and former teammates to see kind of what was his path to get here. So took the 6 a.m. train yesterday and took this 8 a.m. train today. But I'll have a fun story in The Athletic tomorrow on that. And obviously caught up with Liam Mogren, one of the top prospects there at practice. Uh, he updated this rant today in The Athletic. So uh Always fun when you're in Sweden to go actually where these hometowns of these players are because it's such a unique perspective that you wouldn't get ordinarily uh, get a good good feel for what they, how they take. Yeah, and, uh, I, I was here in August for the NHL media tour and I went up to Karlstad as well. And you know, typical Swedish hockey player Eriksson Ek just picks me up, smiling at the train station. Spent the entire day with him and his family, uh, really incredibly. And uh, you had a very similar experience, only. A, 
a bit of a coincidence as well. Tell everybody what happened uh, with Brodine today or yesterday. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, I obviously don't know my way around there, don't have a car. And so I, I enlisted the help of one of his former teammates, uh, Sonny Lindstrom, uh, who played with them and now works in the media, obviously, in Sweden. And he was a amazing, not just Uber driver, but host and, and uh, translator, everything. So he's like, want to go to Brodine's house? I'm like, okay, sure. Is that okay? And he's like, he gave the, the family a heads up or a text that they need to know him. So we drove by, and I was just going to take a picture of the house and the scene setting of where he lived and, like, the hockey rinks, like, 100 yards away and, like, the tennis court and the soccer field where he spent most of his time. And his mom just pulled up just as I was taking a picture of the house. And so a little worried. They were I was trying to be a, buy one of the houses next door, like one of those spectators, you know. But uh, I talked to her in the driveway with help of, obviously, Mr. Lindstrom there, and then got to see his childhood home, his bedroom with all the medals and uh, the jerseys and all the, you know, where he kind of made his his hay there. So uh, obviously hope, looking forward to sharing that story with you guys in the next couple of days, but uh, could definitely get learned a lot about him and his family and kind of his path to get here. And uh, obviously a really nice city too, Carlstad, if you guys yeah. ever want to, are bored the next couple of days, want to take a three hour train ride and, and check it out. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely a gem. Yeah, it's really neat. And Ricard Wallin, actually the first wild player that uh, ever played uh, from Sweden is the GM of that Farstad team, and uh, and uh, just a terrific, terrific dude. Actually, so my first training camp that I covered the Wild in 05, I was so looking forward to meeting Waleen, and then all of a sudden, uh, my only thing I ever wrote about him was the Wild put him on waivers, and he left. So that was it. Never got. So he was the first Wild Swede, but I actually never technically covered him. Um, really uh, happy to be joined by Chris Johnson, who uh, you know, Chris is one of the great insiders out there. You see him all the time on Insider trading with Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebrun and uh, James Duffy often hosting or Gina Retta or any of the great, incredible people at, at uh, TSN. And this is not your first time in Sweden, as you mentioned. Your first time here was probably 19, 20 years ago for the World Championships? Actually, no. I came in the 2004-05 lockout year, okay. if you remember. I was a very young reporter at that time, and I recognized there was a chance to travel the world because that was the first time we saw a lot of North American players come and play in Europe because of the... Uh, the status of the lockout and and I was actually trying to remember because I I got the the weird feeling I, I like I knew my hostel I stayed in was like here like I, I but I was like how did I get around then I didn't even have we didn't have GPS phones in our pocket right uh -huh. and, and uh, so yeah I showed up and I went to a game at uh, at the time was the Globe Arena and they they couldn't have been nicer to me like I just showed up I was 22 I think and I'm I'm here from Canada I want to cover these stories and they like brought me in the dressing room. I remember Mika Kiprasov was playing for the team, the, the, the goaltender from Calgary at the time. He was getting treatment. Wild fans are well aware yes. of Mika Kiprasov. <laughs> there you go. And, and, but he was getting like <laughs> treatment, like half clothed on the table. And they like, just like, oh, come in here and talk to him. Like, I, you know, it, that definitely doesn't happen nowadays. And certainly even then that wasn't normal. But they just, they treated me great. So, I, yeah, the first time was about 20 years ago for that. And I've been back a few times since, even, even just for fun. I really think it's right. a beautiful city. And we know that you were a young reporter because you were staying at a hostel. Oh, I was, I was, to call myself a reporter, I was, a, I was trying to become a reporter. I was yeah. not at that point really a reporter. Yeah. I remember when I started as a sports writer at 15, I was already staying at Marriott. So I, <laughs> I refused to stay at a hostel. Uh, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, Dude, I went to, I went to Russia on that trip and stayed in places you would, 
I would never go back to. But like, right. I to make the money work, honestly, what I did actually, there used to be a media guide at the time that was almost like the Bible. And I emailed every sports editor. Remember that. At, at every place. And I was like, look, I'm going to be in Sweden. You know, this guy plays for your team, your local team. Do you want a story? And I just freelance stories during that time. And Amazing. I just wanted to travel. I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I had no and plan. That, this is pre-Canadian press. Or, or we I, had Canadian, Canadian press at that point. It's sort of complicated. It's like a girlfriend I couldn't break up with. I, <laughs> I left the Canadian press and I did that. And then I, I actually spent a year in London, England working as a journalist. And then I went back and worked at probably when you met me. It was the second go-round Stint. of the Canadian uh, press. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, your career is just uh, erupted here uh, the last uh, 10 years. Uh, and it's it really is. I mean, explain the life of an insider because, you know, Joe and I, we're responsible for one team. And we're attached to our phones, always worried if something's going to go on for the wild. I cannot imagine being responsible for 32, knowing, all right, I better look at my phone. Waivers are coming. Trade's about to pop on another team. Free agency. I mean, it has got to be almost an exhausting process at times. I mean, anything you love is never, you're never tired. You know what I yep. mean? Like, I, I, I feel so blessed to do the job. So, but I, I might be the only person on earth who has a daily alarm set at 1.58 p.m. <laughs> Eastern time where I live because the waivers come out at 2 o'clock Eastern. And so I, when I get that alarm, I'm like, oh, I got to text someone to, to yeah. get it. So, yeah, like, it, it, it's, it's a weird life. And, uh, but, I mean, honestly, I had no plan B ever. I wanted to be a hockey journalist since I was five years old, and so I almost don't know any other way. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm certainly not complaining. And when they get take a trip like this, I'm like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. Like someone's paying for me to be here. Like how yeah. did, how the hell did that happen? I, that's that's what I that's kind of what goes through my mind when I'm in situations like this yeah. one. Well, I've been a sports writer since I was 15, and um, a friend of mine actually asked me the other day. We were at a restaurant, and he goes to me, uh, he goes, "Were you ever a server?" I'm like, I've only had one real job in my entire life, and that was working at Toys R Us when I was 15, and I quit that when I became a Sun Sentinel writer. <laughs> so, so like, I started at 15 years old, so I have known nothing else. Uh, so I would not ha know how to do anything else. I think I could work at Starbucks, so I've watched it. I've watched the process. I'm pretty sure I know how to make it the coffee and, and all that stuff. But Wait for is. the rewards you'd get from working at Starbucks. Oh my you would God. pay for coffee. It saves you know, thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, employee that. discounts and everything. It's so worth it. Do you want to know what my first job was? I was a bit of a degenerate, I think. Yeah. But I was a little kid, and I started writing to NHL teams to get the players to send me autographs, and I sold them on the schoolyard when I was like eight, nine years old. That's hilarious. And that's and I still have, if you ever need proof, because I didn't yeah. sell my whole stock. So I've got like random like Timu Solani autographs from the Jets and stuff in my in my parents' bed. Uh, God, you just gave me all these flashbacks when I was a young kid. I used to do that all the time. You, you, you write team, you write to get autographs. And I remember the first person that ever wrote me back was a guy named Greg Nettles, right? Third baseman yeah. for the Yankees, right? And I was, I could not believe when I opened up that envelope at home and I had an autographed Greg Nettles uh, uh, baseball card. I also wrote sweet. the Blue Jays every year asking to be a bad boy and I have like 20 rejection letters. <laughs> like actually, like I was like on them, but they just never would, would take me in. <laughs> um, Tim Wallach was the person that I was like a giant fan of, third baseman for the Expo. I was a big Expos fan. And uh, I used to go down to spring training in West Palm Beach, and I'd just sit outside and wait for him to let me, like, carry his bags to his car. Uh, like, I was, yeah. Man, you're giving me all these, like, flashbacks. Let's talk a little bit about hockey. Um, let's Where to start right now? Let's start on the positive, the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I mean, absolutely. They are legit now. Uh, you, you look at the top scorers of the National Hockey League. They're all Canucks. Elias Patterson, JT Miller, and Quinn Hughes, who's who scored the overtime winner in a comeback win yesterday. 
leading goal scorer tied with Austin Matthews and Kyle Connor is Brock Besser. Um, Dem- Demko is playing unbelievable. Rick Tockett has seemingly turned that team around. Yeah, I guess Vancouver's not trying to trade Brock Besser anymore no, after no. after after the Wild could have had him for like scraps, but yes. didn't have the cap space to get him. I mean, what a crazy sport this is! This is like nothing yeah. better illustrates it than this. I mean, Vancouver's been. I don't know if I can swear here, but it's been a shit show uh, there the last number of years. And they've been the, the subject of a lot of controversy. It was never working. No one seemed happy. And then all of a sudden, they're one of the best teams in the league. So I don't think I think the one view I always had was you, you could see it. You're like, look, this is top talented players. But it felt like the mix wasn't working. Maybe Rick Tockett as the, the magic bullet or just everything came together. I don't have an answer for it, but I did not see that coming. Yeah. I, I, Joe Joe and I obviously work in Minnesota, and I have a long, long relationship with Brock Besser from the moment he was drafted to to now. And and I, I'm, I'm honestly, my heart is, like, happy for what is going on with him because the stress that he's had to go through the last couple of years with his dad dying, and then his dad passes away Duke, um, and now it's like his mind is free. He's sort of just now playing hockey. He's healthy. Um, I, I texted with his mom yesterday before she flew out to Vancouver to spend some time with him. And she is just, um, you know, over the moon over this. It's just it's such a great story to see Brock playing this well. He's always seemed like a super kid. I certainly don't know him on the level you do. You know, I've been through a loss of a parent, though. I, I can't even imagine. I, know, I remember how hard it was for me to work that season. Uh, when my mom got sick, I can't imagine doing a job as, as public as their job is. I mean, our job's kind of public. And I know you're, you're being nice and joking, but there's lots of places to hide as a media member. You just write your story, you go to bed, no one really bothers you. Mm-hmm. Someone might say, hey, Mike, when you're at Starbucks, what are the wild doing right now? But no one no one really bothers you the way I think it is when you're in the spot like a, like a player. So for him to have shouldered the, everything that comes with going through that, he's still a pretty young man in, in terms of age and life. I know he's an older NHL player, but, um, you know, you're right. I, I think it's great, and I hope he keeps it up. Yeah. It just shows what confidence does for a player or a person, right? Like, you feel like you're more comfortable, and you feel like he's just feeling it this year, too. So, um, I know Vancouver's a surprise team. Who are the other surprise teams in the league right now? I know I'm surprised to see Tampa as low as they are in the Eastern Conference. Detroit, who's here in Stockholm, has made a little bit of a run here. What's your who are your more surprised teams in the first couple of years? Anaheim, for me. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't, you know, the Ducks intentionally were at the bottom of the league last year and you know they've introduced a lot of young players to their their roster and and the fact that they're in respectability is a surprise you know i think edmonton being at the bottom of the standings already firing a head coach to me is a surprise i mean i don't know if you guys thought they were a true stanley cup contender but they were certainly getting that kind of buzz and to start two nine and one in their season uh you know we can all we all understand that teams don't always start the year and everything's perfect but that, that's as bad as, as it could be. And it's a real indictment on the organization that they had to fire a coach at this stage. So those are probably a couple of them. Um, you know, it's a lot of mushy middle, though, too. There's a lot of teams kind of in the same band. And what's interesting about the teams that come here, to me, is they don't, they're not going to play a lot of games. Like, they each play two games here. But yeah. it's a long window, and they're all going to fall behind in the standings because everyone else they're, they're matched up against are going to play five games in that same window. Yeah, it's a wild play, 2-11, and 11 and... You know, I've lost nine of twelve. So, uh, Wild fans are well aware that uh, when we get back to the states, that cosmetically, at least in the standings, it's not going to look uh, great. Um, one other thing on on Vancouver, you being the insider, is Elias Pettersson, as I mentioned, is top of the league in in points right now. Uh, a lot of talk when I was here for the NHL media tour back in August that he was not willing to really talk about a new contract after the season started. I think that created a lot of worry 
from Canucks fans that he was going to be moving on here with a year left in his deal. Um, now they are starting to seemingly gain traction in a in a contract uh, negotiation. Pat Brisson and Patrick Alvin have been talking. Alvin said yesterday that they're starting to you know slowly but surely get to that point. This is good timing for Elias Pettersson, right? Good timing for him, and it's a good news, bad news story for the Canucks. He didn't want to sign. You know, he's entering his last year of his deal this year. He was reluctant to sign at that time because he wasn't sure which direction things are going. So the good news is, is they started the year so well as a team, and, and I think he's more comfortable with the direction, and, and now he's willing to entertain the idea of a longer-term uh, marriage with that team. The, the downside, of course, if you're the Canucks, is he's started the year leading the league in points, and, you know, it's great for him. He's going to hit an absolute screaming home run. I mean, whatever, I mean, it's going to be an eight-figure deal, $10 million and up. I, I don't know where the numbers will land. But he's got all the leverage in my eyes, and they have to sign him. And, you know, this is why sometimes you wish you did it earlier. I mean, the Leafs have a player, William Nylander. He's in the same spot. He's entering the last year of his deal. He's actually UFA at the end of the season, and he started off. He's got a point in every single game he's played this year. Uh, and so that's that's the good spot when you're a player. And there's a bit of there's a bit of game of chicken in contract talks, right? Sometimes timing is everything. And I think the timing's good for Pedersen that they're pushing towards a deal now because he's he's looked as good as he's ever looked in the NHL. Just uh, what's the natural perception of the Minnesota Wild? You know, I think Bill Guerin's kind of managed expectations of having the dead cap hit sixteen million dollars next couple of years. Still want to make the playoffs. They've won 100 points the last couple of years, so they're right there, maybe the mushy middle is, I guess, the way to describe it. But how would you say the national perception of where the Wild are right now and kind of their cycle? <laughs> well, sorry. <I'm, laughs> if you could only have seen CJ's face it, as he tried to come up with the words. Well, because I want to be careful because I, I think it's, you know, last year I thought they were a team that really nationally started to get some buzz. Yeah. And, you know, I... I've traveled the whole league, and so I know how great it is to go to Minnesota. And, and, and I mean, the fact we're sitting in this bar in Stockholm and there's this many people here from Minnesota kind of speaks to the point. But, yeah, there, it was obviously going to be a difficult time when you can't spend the same as everybody else in the league, like not even remotely close. So right. I think it was going to be challenging. It's probably been worse even, I'm guessing, than they were expecting. Or I know than they were expecting. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know what becomes of the season, and I don't – What's curious about it is how patient can you be, yeah. right? Like, that's how I look at it. Because on one hand, you're like, yeah, we can't spend to the, the cap ceiling because of, you know, the pain that they intentionally, you know, moved on from a couple players that weren't performing to their contracts. But, you know, can you be patient with the roster? Can you be patient with the coaching staff? I mean, a lot of that could come to a head, it feels like, depending on how the games go here. I totally agree with you. I think that this is going to be a very interesting couple weeks for the Wild um, and, and, you know, one thing that you said about sometimes waiting is sometimes you can jump out in front of things too, too quickly. And I think the one thing, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a lot on the podcast tonight with the wild fans, once you head over to Gary Bettman, but sometimes, you know, I, I I'm trying to th come up with the best way to say this is that if you thought that this could be a tough year for, for you, you had a lot of really good trade chips in Marcus Foligno, Matt Zuccarello, and Ryan Hartman. And now they extended these veterans, gave them no move clauses. Now they're in the position they are at. And come trade deadline, if this team is where it is or on the bottom of the standings, you have no trade chips anymore. So it just feels like maybe they, they jumped the gun there and what was the rush? This is a wild thing about the NHL, no pun intended. Same players, 
but when you attach new contracts to them, it's a totally different view on what they can be. It, there's lots of teams out there that would like those players in terms of a trade, but as you mentioned, now they have to be involved. Maybe the cap hits the Wild gave them the other teams don't like or can't accommodate as easily. I mean, it's tough. Calgary's in a similar situation, right? But they mm. didn't extend their guys. I mean, they extended Michael exactly. Backlund and made him the captain. He's been there his whole career. But, you know, they have Noah Hannafin. They, they didn't sign. They, they have Elias Lindholm, Nikita Zadorov, uh, Tanev. Like, they, they have all these guys, and they didn't do that. And so for them, I think it's almost easier that they're underperforming so far because they're like, well, the flip side here is now we can make some big, bold trades and, you know, start restocking. Yeah. What's the big uh, questions that you're going to have for Gary today? I mean... Probably, like, for me, I don't know what, if fans care about this as much, but I'm curious about how the draft goes. Mm-hmm. You know, this league's obviously thinking about doing it in a radically different way than it's ever done. And it's, you know, a lot of the way the NHL operates is very old school, very traditional. And there's a lot of people out there that still like the draft, as, as clunky as it can be. It might not be for today's generation. And obviously, they're, they're, they're looking at big changes there. Um, you know, the, the Hockey Canada situation might not be as... Top of mind in Minnesota, but it certainly as a Canadian-based hockey journalist, I'm curious. You know, it seems like there's progress towards resolution there, and a number of the players on that team play in the NHL. What kind of, you know, discipline are they facing? Gambling in the sport is is taking yeah. on a new, um, you know, focus. We, we had Shane Pinto from Ottawa suspended 41 games this year. You know, I think with with Gary, quite frankly, I mean, you're you're looking for the hardest edge newsy. Yeah questions at a day like this you know and I'll, I'll let you go over there right now you know what my biggest question would be for him if i was getting over there that i guarantee ian mendez is going to ask is is how do they justify the uh real pointed uh comments that michael anlier made about the fact that with the situation with the with draft pick that he had no clue in this in the closing and that he basically you know called the integrity of the league in question like that they kept this a secret from them to basically get the best price possible. And that's an unbelievable thing for a new owner to say publicly. And I, I'll be interested uh, when Ian asks that question, which I assume he will, how, how, they, how they justify that. Because um, clearly they had, in Michael's you know, assertion, he had no idea. That, that, that this thing could be coming. So it's going to be really interesting. Chris, I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, we'll get on with the podcast. But uh, reporter Chris on Twitter, you can see him on uh, TSN all the time on Insider Trading. And, of course, uh, three or four columns a week in The Athletic, our new colleague at The Athletic, Chris Johnston. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Tax to make it. School. Have a yeah. great night here. <laughs>
about all these top prospects in such a way all the time without really giving people an insight of who Hunter Haight is, who Riley Haight is, who who's Nadina Firoff is, and you got to spend some time with uh, Liam Ogren. Absolutely, and he's one of the two first-round picks from just over a year ago with Daniil Yurov, and uh, it's a lot of high hopes after development camp that he come back over here, North America, next summer to start his pro career in North America, whether that's in AHL Iowa or maybe potentially the Minnesota Wilds. So I think his development is so important to the arc of this team. And, you know, he said his belief is still to come over here next summer as long as he stays healthy and plays well this season. But uh, just a big power forward, his NHL shot already. Uh, very intriguing from that standpoint. So um, he had a kind of mysterious injury over the summer he's still rehabbing from, but just a great kid from a, a good family and uh, obviously one that could be a part of the future here in Minnesota. And the hope is for him to come back pretty much uh, next week and really reestablish himself and then sign with these other two European Russian players uh, next summer. Still, that's, that's, that's still the plan. And then you obviously you have Yurov and Kusandinov. Uh, other potential players to come over here next summer, depending on how their season goes. But um, I know it doesn't seem like there's a lot of roster spots right now with the wild lineup, but there very well could be some changes in the summertime. So I think having those young players on ELCs is so important to kind of fueling the success of a team. And I'm really interested. I we were impressed with him coming over at development camp too, how good he looked. Right. And just a reminder, again, we have a microphone up here. If you have questions throughout the show, you don't have to be invited. Just come on up. Uh, ask the question and, and, and you know, you could basically uh, determine how this podcast goes. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, Marco Rossi, I, last summer I got to spend some time at his home. Um, in August I got to spend some time in Erickson X home, and it's just really neat when you go into a, you know, the childhood home of, a, of a, somebody that you see is now an NHL player and how they grew up and the rooms that they lived in and where they shot pucks. And you got to spend a little time in Brodine's home today. Uh, his mom was super, super uh, generous with her time, and tell us about that a little more. Yeah, like I talked to Brodeen for this story, and he mentioned how much he loved soccer growing up. He almost picked that over hockey. At certain, he quit so hockey for, when he was eight years old for one year to give soccer a little bit of a chance. But yeah, I could tell at his house, like 100 yards away from his home, is a big, huge soccer field, an outdoor rink, tennis court, basketball hoop. So he didn't go very far as a kid to be working on every single sport he wanted to do. Um, but it's a very kind of middle-of-nowhere suburb kind of a Karlstad, and uh, obviously a close group of people he played with growing up. Oscar Kleffbaum is one of them who played for the Oilers for a while. Um, so good hockey pedigree from that from that area. But it was cool to see, meet his family, meet some of the former teammates, hear some stories about a very quiet guy who actually has a lot of personality behind the scenes. I did talk to Matt Dumba too as well for this story. So you can imagine what he was saying about Jonas Brodeen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Joe just got back from Arizona a couple weeks ago where he spent some time with a lot of the former Wild players down there, Logan Cooley and, and things like that. Um, you know, Erickson Eck, uh, same thing. Like, I, when I was there in August, I just could not believe. How, like, like you know, like, like just to backtrack a little bit, like, same thing last summer. Rossi, at that point, he's a prospect, picks me up. Well, his dad picks me up at the airport in Zurich in the middle of one of the thousand strikes that they always have here in, uh, in, uh, in Europe. And so the, the airline, Swiss Air, is under strike, so it takes me, takes me two hours to get my luggage. Michael Rossi and Marco just stayed there so patiently <laughs> waiting for me. They drive me in, you know, Austria, hour and a half, and just gave me, uh, you know, it was so hospitable. And then all of a sudden this summer comes, and now you have an established NHLer, and you just wonder how it's going to go. And there you just show up at the train station. There's Eric Sinek, picks you up in his car, drives you around town, takes you to lunch. You go to his home. You're in hanging out with his dad and his mom at his house, hanging on the back patio. 
and and you're able to write these stories. And I think that you would agree, Joe. This is kind of why we cover this sport. Um, we've both covered other professional sports. You you cannot have that type of access to a professional athlete as good as an Ericsson Eck or a Brodin. No, absolutely. Especially Swedish players are probably the nicest people in the in the planet, right? And but I covered the NFL and Major League Baseball as well when I was in Tampa Bay for 15 years, and you can definitely tell a difference with hockey players. You know how accommodating they are. They'll give you their time. Maybe it's because about how to kind of a village to kind of get them where they are as far as driving to practices and it takes a lot of money to, to play hockey too at that age too a lot of support that they had but um, you know stories like that going to Brodine's place I did Victor Hedman's hometown when I was here at the Global Series five years ago and his dad picked me up called himself his Uber, my Uber driver and drove me <laughs> around and it was his childhood home and took me to lunch and drove the paper mill so you really get a good idea of the fabric of what a person is from um, by going to see those things. And we were very blessed to be able to be get paid to do those things, too. Uh, coming out here and, and exploring and traveling and bringing those players, obviously, to life for all fans like you. And that's a real cool part of working at The Athletic, too, is that we can make these stories breathe. You don't have to you know, write them in 18 inches, a finite amount of space that you would in a newspaper uh, at The Athletic. We could write these really quality, long-form stories. Um, let's move on to the team. Um, since we're negative sports writers, we're going to start with the negative. Um, they stink right now. They're uh, coming off the worst loss that I think I've ever covered, 8-3 at home. You can lose 8-3. It needs to be on the road. It can't be at home in front of your fans. And like, you know what, what bothers me about the way that this team is playing right now, Joe, is that they don't make it even fun for the fans that show up. They fall down immediately every game. I don't know how many times they take a penalty in the first minute of a period or the game, and it always winds up in their net. And that was a perfect example. You have all you have a, a, a day where you know a big Vikings victory, fans come out, they're super excited to watch the you know the rekindling of the rivalry that we saw in the playoffs, and they're down one nothing immediately in the, one of the worst losses in franchise history. And that's one of the trends, Mike. Too is nobody in the league has trailed more than the Wild, other than the San Jose Sharks. And you know how bad they are this year, and they're not. They can't outskill teams, the Minnesota Wild. They're not. They can't outscore their problems and mistakes. And so, when you fall behind and are chasing it, the entire game, it, it's a taxing. It puts a lot of pressure on them. They have to take chances, and then you're seeing the goaltending is suffering because of it. So, what surprised me, Mike, and I maybe it didn't surprise you since you've been here longer, but that game just about ten days ago on Saturday, where they came from behind, won five to four, and beat the Rangers, and they thought it could be kind of a momentum switch for them. They kind of got their their mojo together. Their leaders stepped up and vocally and and on the ice, and you're like, okay, maybe this could be something that can kind of be that catalyst. And really, after the winning in Long Island, they kind of filled the tailspin since then. Yeah, absolutely. Had a really, you know, choppy, convoluted game in, at Madison Square Garden where they didn't show up in the first period, then was beyond dominant in the second period, and then played a so-so third lose, and then they go and play Buffalo the next night, essentially dominate the control of play, and uh, just weren't able to to achieve anything in terms of offensively putting the puck in the net, missed the net like 20 times that night, and it um, and it's obviously been downhill. Like, I look at that Dallas game, I know fans sometimes don't like to hear excuses. Like, I always looked at that Dallas game as a quote-unquote schedule loss. Those exist. You know, when you look at the schedule before the season and you know there's just no way they're going to win that game. You know, you play four games in four different cities in six nights, you're coming home. You know the next day you're going to Sweden. That game against Dallas was always going to be tough. For, but for them to give up five power play goals, continue the long trend of starting poorly and giving up uh, just a god-awful number of goals on their penalty kill, it's, just, it's, it's to me a very bad trend. And 
And so now you hope that this week here in Sweden really resets things. They have a couple good practices, and they can come out against Ottawa and play really, really guns a-blazing. Well, one thing they worked on yesterday, Mike, uh, the penalty kill, which has been really rough all season long. And like, I think you know John Cooper put it best when I talked to him before. He's like, you can win in this league or win the playoffs with a, with a struggling power play, but you absolutely can't survive with a, with a bad penalty kill. And that's what you're seeing right now. Um, with the Minnesota Wild, they worked on it in practice yesterday and making some tweaks, but um, clearly the personnel is there to be better. They were better last year, um, so that's something they need to fix in order to kind of get off this this slide, especially against Ottawa and obviously a high-powered unit in Maple Leafs on Sunday. Right. Again, uh, thanks to O'Leary's for having us out here. Thanks to Joe for joining me. We have a mic up here. You are welcome to uh, come on up at any point and ask questions, so we should get that started. Um, and, and a reminder, stay to the very end after the podcast, and we're going to be raffling out um, some really special things uh, and also 23 athletic uh, hats and six athletic subscriptions and uh, some cool stuff, some, uh, some hockey stuff as well. Come on up, grab that mic, and just understand that they're probably not going to hear you on the podcast, so I'm going to repeat the question. Hey. Hey. Or in Swedish, hey. Hey, how are you? Hey, hey. Just to know I'm a former goalie, so if you walk out of here without your shoes, you know where to look. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I have to Wiles ask, could use you right now. I have to ask a goalie question. Yeah. Two parts. Was it Bill Guerin's original intent to big yes for Wolfsat on this trip? Yes. And if they have to activate him, what is the cap repercussions that we will suffer? It, there, there is no cap repercussions other than Freddie Goudreau would not be allowed to play Sunday. So Freddie Goudreau is on LTIR. Um, that with his 2.75 million and Goligoski's 2 million, that gives them the amount of money to basically afford Patan and um, bring 23 guys on the trip. But Jesper Wallstadt does not count in that. But if they were to need him to play, then they need the cap space. And the, the only way to do that would be to not play Freddie. So if um, we don't know yet who is starting Saturday's game, but if it's Gustafson or, uh, or Fleury, if one of them by Sunday got sick or hurt, and they needed Wallstat, they would activate Wallstat, they would play him as their third goalie, but then Freddie would not be allowed to play Sunday. So, so. the status of Goudreau is that he's close? Yes, yeah, the status of Goudreau is, is that at Friday's practice, he's going to take contact for the first time. At Saturday's morning skate, uh, they'll have an optional, my guess, is he'll get more contact. If he survives that and it, they think he could play Sunday, he will be activated. But if they need Wallstat to play, uh, Goudreau cannot. So he just gets sent one day. Right. And then whilst that would come back and go back to Iowa. Right, exactly. And then Freddie would be eligible yep. in the next yep. game. So we are not anticipating seeing Volstead make his NHL debut on this trip. Goligoski, is he's further away? Yeah, he's further away, but he did practice for 30 minutes yesterday, Joe. Um, and, um, and, uh, and if, by the way, if you didn't hear that, he was asking about Goligoski. Uh, so he's 30 minutes away. He's about probably, I would think, a couple weeks still away. But it's good that he's on the ice. He uh, hurt his, you know, had a foot injury that when we were in Montreal. Yeah, thank you. So, anybody else want to go on? Come on up. We got 250 people here. Don't be shy. Here we go, our Swedish friend, Ludwig. This one? Yeah, yes. Ludwig. Yep, yep. Thanks for always tweeting and writing and everything. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, uh, Swedish wild fan here um, yeah. with uh, two questions. Thanks. Uh, so obviously we're having sort of a dark uh, start of the season, right? And two uh, important games coming up, uh, I guess. Yep. Also looking at uh, last week's firing of uh, 
the sort of Edmonton coach. Uh, so first question, like, how long leash does uh, Everson have right now? And uh, second question, like, we've been talking a lot of, you know, things that it's not working. What are the sort of bright spots that you see from this season? Uh, yeah, a great, uh, two great questions. And um, let's start with Everson. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I just couldn't even envision that, that he could take the hit for this. Now I'm just starting to wonder. When you have games like 8-3 losses and when you have um, penalty kill and all this stuff. Now, like, I'm very conflicted about it. Like, I don't think he deserves to lose his job. You know, if Bill Guerin, to me, Joe, said that last year that he coached with one hand behind his back, it's basically one and three quarters this year. Um, it's a lot less cap space. Two million doesn't seem like a lot, but if you remember going into last season... They, they traded Dmitry Kulikov, and they lost Tyson Jost on waivers, so they actually had a ton of cap space. We were at the trade deadline. They were able, able to add John Klingberg, Marcus Johansson, Gustav Nyquist, uh, and my, uh, Oscar Sundquist. Um, they were able to actually make moves. Now they have no ability to do anything. He basically can't hold guys accountable uh, by pulling guys out of the lineup. Um, he's got a lot of players underperforming, and he's got a lot of players feeling ultra-comfortable right now because they got no trade clauses. But this team still, the, the, the hope and the belief from management and ownership is that they should make the playoffs. And if that is still the obligation, mm -hmm. then he's in trouble. Certainly. I mean, it's a lot easier to make a change in your coaching staff than changing your roster, right? And uh, you've seen it in all sports where th those guys take the hit when they maybe they shouldn't take the hit. And, um, you know, obviously didn't also have Jerry Spurgeon the first month of the season, too. So that was another big loss for them. Yes. I, I will give Dean credit, though, for making some you know, adjustments this, this first month of the season in terms of he was, you had those meetings with the, the captains to kind of call them out and get more out of them. They're trying to make some tweaks in their system wise, tweaks in their practice schedule. You know, obviously you can only do so much as a coach, but I think as he admitted it to us last week that obviously they're responsible as well. They're accountable as well for what happened. So I think you're right, Mike. I mean, I didn't think going to this year that he'd be in a danger zone or hot seat, um, but you can definitely tell he's feeling a little more of the pressure the way he's criti criticizing guys in the press because he doesn't usually do that. Yeah, no, uh, without a doubt. And the other thing is that they're regressing in areas that were supposed to be improved, and one is the penalty kill. Like, their penalty kill was, you know, pretty much top 10 for most of last season. And then in the playoffs, gave up nine goals, was horrendous. And it was supposed to be improved coming into this season. Obviously, losing Spurgeon hurts. But Spurgeon was a big part of that penalty kill that stunk in the playoffs. So you can't blame everything on just Spurgeon being out. It's not a justifiable excuse in my eyes. And their penalty kill is just, it's losing them every game. And as Joe has written and talked about before, too, is that you could survive in the National Hockey League with a mediocre power play. You can't with a god-awful penalty kill. And their penalty kill is at a historically bad levels right now. And you look at the team's identity, right? The grid first mentality and like the aggressive with the four check and like really wearing teams down. You can't do that when you're behind every game. So they have to, they're not a team that's built to chase. They're not a team that's built to do run and gun. They're not built to outscore their issues or find ways um, to, to win games like that. And so they're not playing to their identity, which is a part of what the coach's job is as well, is getting those guys to play that way. And so right now there's a lot of different problems that they have. And then they're hoping that getting a win or two can rebuild that confidence and get them back going home. Uh, they play, what, Colorado next Friday? So they're not yeah. getting any easier in their schedule when they come home from this trip. So, uh, And, yeah, I mean, I'll just I, – I agree with what CJ said is that, um, you know, Saturday's game, especially against Ottawa, you have the two coaches that are probably on the hottest seats right now in the league and DJ Smith and, and, and uh, Dean Evason. And 
you know, that next game against Toronto, playing 21 hours later against a team that is could light you up like uh, for fun. Uh, it, it's you know these are two tough games and they've got to figure out a way to win to really maybe stop some necessary changes next week. Well, the, the other part of your question was the positive stuff, right? Which everybody I wants to hear about. The positive <laughs> stuff. stuff. Sorry, that's just the nature of me. I mean, there's there's probably uh, a few things here, but I, I think Brock Faber is one of them. Like I think this is not a bold take, but he'll end up probably maybe being the best defenseman in franchise history when his career is over. Just looking at what he can do. Um, so having a guy like that. Step in for Matt Dumba in a top four role when you don't have Spurgeon and you're kind of moving guys around. Uh, he's really impressive for a rookie, and, and they needed him and Rossi to step up, and both of those guys, I think, have delivered. What do you think, Mike? I totally agree with you. I, um, I'm, I'm really happy for Rossi right now. And, I, you know, look, he's still not a finished product by any stretch. But, um, you know, when you start to get to the ages of 21, 22, there comes a point where you're not a prospect anymore. And you've got we've got you got to start to see. Even though he lost a year because of his health issue, there there just comes a point where you got to see the fruits of the labor and why you drafted a particular player over Cole Perfetti and Anton Landin, Landin and uh, who was the other one? I forget. Seth Jarvis. I mean that you know it started to look like an indictment. And so now we're starting to see him playing really well. He's back on the first line with uh, Kaprizov and Zuccarello going into this weekend's games. I'm really excited to see Boldy back with Eric Sinek and, and Marcus Johansson. I think we all remember in March last year, Boldy was one of the best, most prolific scorers in the National Hockey League, and a lot of it was because of the, the two line mates that he was playing with. But then Boldy got hurt in Game 2, and we hadn't seen them since Boldy got back in the lineup back together, and now we're going to see it. So their top two lines this weekend are formidable, and I, I think that we're going to see, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see if this is, you know, has this last couple of weeks been a fluke? What's really ironic about their third line is this is, well, I thought Goudreau would be on that line to start, but I thought it made a lot of sense at some point to elevate Rossi and have a really quality third line of Hartman, Goudreau, and Felino. Obviously, Goudreau's still out, so Maroon goes there, who's played really well. And so now their lines actually look legitimate. Now can they stop the puck from going in their net, and can they defend? That's the biggest question right now with this team. So thanks, Ludwig, for the question. Thanks for the tweets, as always. Thanks for listening to the podcast, 4,000 Miles from Minnesota. Who's next on the Russo-Smith show? Well, hey, Mike, uh, we talked about this. Yeah, I I appreciate, by the way, everybody asking questions. I think it's better. Like, we want to hear what you guys want to know and and, uh, rather than us just, you know, riffing. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for uh, being here today. My name is Marty. I'm from St. Louis Park, the mighty St. Louis Park uh, hockey uh, uh, mecca that it is. Um, But I asked you earlier. Home of KFAN. Yeah, yes, KFAN. Um, But I just wanted to ask you just, we talked about this earlier about, you know, your your kind of your your plight to where you're at today as a top journalist, you know, in in hockey in Minnesota. So how how did you get into hockey and where did that all start? Um, I mean, for me, I'll try to make the long, long story short, and I'd love to hear Joe's um, path as well, because we obviously come from very different backgrounds. Um, He's a lot better educated than I am. Um, go Wolverines, right? Michigan, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so for for me, I grew, I grew up on Long Island. I was I was you know big big Islander fan. I, I grew when I say grew up there, I moved to Florida when I was twelve. But but I grew up during sort of the Islanders' heyday. I was really young then, but I delivered Newsdays as a kid. It's not just a Twitter bio. That was really what it was. And I remember every you know the Islanders were unbelievable. And I remember delivering my paper route and reading the back pages of Newsday, reading about the Islanders, and like, this would be a cool job. Like, I wasn't thinking to myself, 
I played street hockey. I was awful. I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional hockey player. So I'm like, this would be a cool job to write about these guys. Well, then I moved to Florida, um, and in high school, I became uh, you know somebody that got it big into multimedia. Uh, did all announced all the basketball, baseball, football games when my uh, when I faked an injury playing football and ended my professional uh, aspirations of being a football player. Um, and I'm not even joking. I went down with an ankle injury and was offside doing it. So uh, knew I wasn't going to be, and my coach knew I was doing. So I immediately became a sports writer at like 14, 15 years old and an announcer. And the, I befriended a lot of local sports writers. Dave O'Brien, who's our Atlanta Braves writer at The Athletic, is really the one that gave me my start. He got me in in the door at the Sun Sentinel. Um, at 15 years old, my stepfather would drive me down there. I'd answer we, uh, phone calls from high school coaches, take box scores, write up the agate, which is what we call the newspaper, do these top performers. And I would be in the newsroom, and anytime I could hear somebody say, hey, we need somebody to go cover this high school game, we need somebody to go out and help out at a Marlins game or a Miami Hurricanes game or whatever, I would raise my hand and just started writing for the Boca News, the Sun Sentinel, and the Palm Beach Post at the time. And um, and in high school, uh, there's a franchise that came into uh, a league that was started by Bill Naira, who everybody might know, not Bill, he's from Edina, he's sadly passed away in his 40s. His dad was CEO of Northwest Airlines. Well, Bill Naira played for the Montreal Canadiens and the Minnesota North Stars. He started this league down in Florida called the Sunshine Hockey League. Four teams, the West Palm Beach Blaze, the Lakeland Ice Warriors, the Daytona Beach something, and the Jacksonville Bullets. And uh, they played like a full schedule. It was brawls, but it was, and it was the most minor, minor league there ever was. And I used to go out there every single day and write up these like 20-inch articles for the Sun Sentinel. They cut it down to two and throw it in, in briefs. Um, but this guy took me under his wing, Bill Nyrup, and he really taught me the game when I was a young kid. And then all of a sudden the Panthers became an expansion team, and I was still working at the Sun Sentinel. And um, in 1995, the year that they went to their final, their third year in existence, I started basically helping um, our writers cover that team. And, and slowly but surely, I was around them in 95, 96, 96, 97, and then in 97, 98 season, they made me the full-time beat writer. So this is my 29th season covering the league, 27 as a full-time beat writer, and uh, 19 in Minnesota. And uh, but trust me, I wanted to be a play-by-play -play guy when I was a kid. I never thought in my wildest aspirations that I'd be a sports writer. You know, I still, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, I still, I like I was even talking to our editor the other day. I'm like, I said to him, I wish I could write like Joe. Like, I am not a writer. I'm more of a reporter. Um, which is what I think makes Joe and myself a good team is that is that we we basically um, you know lured him to Minnesota to keep me from melting down and double team the heck of the team so it's worked out well yeah it worked out really well yeah it's uh you started a lot earlier than I did Mike and when I was fourteen fifteen I was a stock boy seven eleven in my first job so I had the the green smock and was getting all the free slurpees I could ever want but when you're fourteen and a half years old you take a job that you can get but uh but yeah I grew up in Michigan outside uh, outside Detroit. Um, didn't know I wanted to be really a journalist or a writer until I went to school at Michigan. They didn't have a journalism program at all, so they didn't have any classes for that. So they had a student newspaper, one of the biggest ones in the country. So I volunteered from day one, covered women's tennis. I did a story on the arena, for God's sakes. Like I did whatever I could do. Um, I really kind of fell in love with covering hockey, covering Michigan hockey, my sophomore year. And Red Berenson was is their NHL, their coach, played the NHL and. You treated like an NHL program. If you're a kid and you walked to, to practice and you were there, he'd give you a half hour, hour after practice to talk about hockey, about life, about his experiences, and really maybe want to be a beat writer. So uh, took a little bit of a longer path and 
I would do a Detroit Free Press sports writer John Lowe covered the Tigers was kind of a mentor Good for me. Good friend of mine, really a yeah. Hall of Famer. Um, you know, was kind of like an unofficial advisor for the student paper, and I would go on weekends one nights to just uh, go kind of shadow him, and I'd write game stories that never ran anywhere. They're still on my old laptop somewhere, but he would we do the same game stories, and he'd read my stuff and kind of go over kind of a practice thing uh, to kind of get a feel for deadline, get a feel for writing features and human interest stories. And so that was a big credit to where I got, a, got to. But uh, And I never knew that. I'm really good friends with John Lowe. I, I met him uh, years ago at an NSMA thing. Um, and uh, and you know, Sean, should be, I mean, he's had a lot of young protégés that, that I've helped also uh, along the path. So that's that's pretty sweet. Um, you know, it, it's, it is, I mean, it, 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 like every time I get st- like stressed over the job, you start to realize that you don't really have a real job. You're getting paid to cover hockey for a living. We're certainly blessed to, to do this. Um, and it, it just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange job to get paid to come to Sweden and host a podcast in front of 250 people and all this type of stuff. I mean, um, and, and, but there's no other league I would want to cover. Like I, I really grew up in a newsroom and, and that's how I learned this business is working in professional press boxes, watching how sports writers conducted themselves, watching how professional athletes were asked questions in the locker room. And I got to car. I, that's how I learned. I, I, I basically volunteered to go to, you know, Marlins games and Dolphins games and Miami heat games. And I learned some under, under some of the great sports writers. And I was basically a sponge and it got me to the point that I am today. So Really, thank you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank you. Story. I guess we can all agree what a long, strange trip it's yeah, been. Yeah, no, it really is. It's uh, it's nuts. So, yeah. thanks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So, whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, who's next? There we go. Let's uh, grab the mic and ask a question. There you go. Joe, I'm Steve from Rochester. Yep, thanks. Nice to see you guys here. It's wonderful to be in Sweden. Say, listen, we got to talk about Kaprizov, don't we? I mean, if he's injured, all bets are off. If he's not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a whole different deal, and nobody knows. It's all speculative. Right. He's not passing the eye test, so do you guys have a comment on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, he was on the ice yesterday at practice. We anticipate that he'll be practicing Friday. He'll definitely be on the ice uh, this weekend. That's what he said yesterday. The good news is that um, they, you know, after the game Sunday, he went in for treatment, complained about a malady that he was feeling. They got him tested the next day, and whatever that test showed uh, was not bad enough, at least, or maybe nothing showed up that they felt like it was there. So they just erred on the side of caution. And then, um, and then, you know, uh, just take one. 
Yeah. One. one okay. All right. Cool. All right. Um, so we're getting ready for the raffle. Um, so right now, the, the the belief is that he's healthy. I mean, you're right. I mean, maybe he's feeling something from last year's injury that's just not showing showing up on the MRI. I mean, his injury last year is a tricky one, um, and uh, and he's clearly. He, to your point, I mean, he, he's not passing the eye test. He's turning pucks over. He's not gaining separation on guys. There's just been no eruption to his game. The organization is concerned what they're seeing from him right now, but the hope is is that he is healthy and that, that the tests that he had the other day, the images that they took, maybe showed him and the organization that he's healthy. So That's certainly the hope from a, a fan perspective, and I, I have only been covering him for like a year and a half now, so... Uh, I got my kind of like a first-hand look last year and was incredibly impressed with him as a player, the top 10 player in the world, I thought. And so I think when you have a guy like that, you don't have any superstars on this team. You need a guy like that to be your engine, as they call him, right? And not just him scoring goals, it's creating and creating fear of the team's defensemen and creating opportunities for other players. So, you know, the hope is that he's healthy and if he can be kind of a difference maker again and kind of drag them into the fight like he usually does, I think it could be a big difference maker for the offensive part of this team. So... Um, they made him an alternative captain earlier this year for a reason. They think he's one of the leaders, even though he didn't talk as much um, as us, apparently. Um, but, yeah, I think he's a guy that needs to be the driving force for them for them to get where they want to go, and that clues in the playoffs this year. Yep. Good question. Grab the mic. What's your name? Where are you from? Hi. Uh, oh, wait. Yeah, both mics. Yeah, both mics. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, hi. Yeah, I'm Eric. Uh, I'm originally from Minneapolis, but uh, I live in Switzerland now. Nice. Um, and I'm envious. Um, yeah. No, it's it's a great country. Um, so uh, I apologize if this uh, question has already been asked because uh, we we got here a little late. But um, I guess if you were if you were to give uh, hashtag GMBG kind of a, a an overall grade for. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I know a, a lot of journalists kind of write those, you know, grading the draft or whatever. But um, no, yeah, if you were to give him an overall grade uh, for, for his performance, you know, with the um, kind of navigating the tricky cap situation, but, you know, also leading to, you know, the same first round exit uh, every year, you know, what what kind of grade would you give him? Joe? <laughs> Passing the buck. That's what I gave you. No, like it's uh it's a good question. You mean like for like the whole entire his tenure here or your like this year? All of it. All of it. <laughs> All right. Like I would probably go with like a C plus B minus range, you know, if you're giving it a grip a grade. Like I I know he, you know, is kind of restricted with the cap hits that he has to deal with. He can't go out and get another seven million dollar forward or center to to help this team up front. Um so that's a thing that he has to be able to do, but um, certainly the team in this market really expects and hopes to have um, a team that could go beyond the first round for the first time in like eight years, right? So not just a one-year thing or two-year thing. Um, so I think overall, there's many good things that he's done in terms of changing the culture with the team and the buyouts were a big part of that. Um, but I think you're judged based upon your playoff performance, and he knows that as well as anybody as a cup winner, as executive, and as a player. So um, I think the jury's still out with him, but I think, you know, it's hard to give somebody an A when they haven't won a playoff series. And Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I will say, like, you know, my biggest concern right now is is how the rest of the season goes because I think that a lot of the, you know, uh, I mean, it's kind of what we were talking about, CJ, is that he, if this if this season goes awry and he took away the ability of trading guys like Felino Hartman and, and Zuccarello, and they're a big part of this reason, this season going awry, that's a huge misstep. Uh, for the organization, and so that's why I think Dean's, 
in trouble here because I think that they that there's some pressure here to make the playoffs now because now what do you you got Pat Maroon to move like yeah. like there's they, these were I just don't get what the rush was to do it all together at the beginning of the season and I think that he has I've, you know and and he knows I feel this way I think he fell in love with a core that has achieved very little in in the grand scheme of things and so this is a huge year for the 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 team and 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 you know especially if you use that one bullet and and Dean takes a plunge here you know now the pressure's on him and uh, I think he's aware of that so, you know when you agree I would agree and like Garen to me feels like more would go by the gut kind of guy you know and that he trusts his core he believes in his guys um, so I can see where that happened versus the very much more analytical kind of numbers based uh, based theory here but I was surprised with the extensions in the beginning because they do so many things well as far as development and drafting not trading their, their draft picks the last couple of years accumulate for the future knowing you have to keep one eye in the present one eye in the future and they took away all flexibility for that that instance uh, right there so you know maybe these guys obviously have these really good years and lift them to the playoffs and then we're having a different, different discussion in April, May or June but uh, that definitely puts a lot of pressure on, on the guys that they have um, you know, kind of bet on the last couple of years. Absolutely. Next question. Uh, up. Put the mic. Hi, my name is Jack. I'm from Egan. Hey. A big Gopher fan and big Wild fan. So I watched uh, Faber progress just in college and then now in the NHL. What do you think his ceiling is? And like, he's obviously been one of the best bright spots of the yeah. Wild so far. So his ceiling you. is eight or nine million dollars, very quickly. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, and we'll let Joe really expand on this because he's our Brock Faber uh, beat writer at The Athletic, um, as, as I'm our Brock Besser beat writer at The Athletic. Um, so, you know, th there's another thing on, I mean, not to just now get back to the last question, you know, one, one big concern that I have about um, the, the cap hits and all these re-signings is the cap is really going to have to expand for the wild fans to to get the players that they think that they're going to be able to get in two years when this pain is up. So they've been sold on this this belief that all of a sudden just deal with this pain and we're going to have all this cap space to go out and get Dreisaitl and Pedersen or whatever. And that's going to go away really quickly when you sign you know, uh, Marcus to four and Hartman to three. And then you realize that Rossi is starting to be the player that he's going to have to get re-signed whilst that. And... Brock Faber, like, did they not see what young defensemen are getting right now? Jake Sanderson, 8-8. Eight, eight. Uh, Deline over 9. Power, 9. You know, I mean, Brock Faber is going to get paid here on his second contract. It might not be 8 or 9, but you do that. Now, if that happens, they don't have a ton of money coming up. So that's one part of that subject. But to answer the question in terms of the ceiling, um, what do you think of him as a player? And, and you've covered guys like Headman and people like that. Yeah, it definitely could be an all-star defenseman in my mind, like I mentioned before, and that's kind of my thought is that by the end of his career, he could end up being one of the best defensemen in wild history. But I think they put a lot on his shoulders for a rookie who entered the, the year having played, what, six NHL games in his entire life, and he's handled it really, really well. He's a very accountable kid. I don't know if you heard the interview he did uh, after the game in uh, New York where he basically took the bullet for the whole entire team with that bad pinch he made, and he spoke like a captain. He acts like a leader, and I think he'll be a – one of the captains of this team going forward. But uh, you're right, Mike, this right shot defenseman who can play top four shutdown minutes, penalty kill, and I think in the power play he'll be play eventually playing. Uh, don't come cheap. So 
clearly, it's a big bright spot in that trade. All of a sudden, the Fiala one that could get him and Liam Ogren could end up being a, a really good one. Do you, uh, your your belief on Brock Faber? Do you think he's an eventual power play guy? You know, when you talk to Bob Motzko, he always talks about how he thinks there's offense untapped in here. He obviously played the number one power play at the U, um, but he, it, you know, as as well as he skates and a shot and all that, so far he hasn't generated points. Do you think if they throw him on that number one power play or start to at least even put him on the number two power play that we're going to see even a, a new type of Brock Faber here? I think that was one of the thoughts Dean Evanson told me like last week when they traded Kale Addison was like that he could be a thought in their mind of being used in the power play uh, eventually here, even earlier this season. Uh, he worked all summer on his puck skills, right, on keeping his head up while playing with the puck and, and being creative. You can see him make him take more chances now that he plays with Jonas Brodeen, who obviously one of the better shutdown defensemen in the league. So he's taking more chances. He's getting more creative. He has that in him. He never had to use it really much in college, and they probably didn't want to put that on right away to start this, the year of playing 22-plus minutes, being the top penalty kill right shot defenseman, and then also being the power play. So I think overall uh, the sky's the limit for that kid. Who is it? It's an alarm. I don't know what the alarm was. Maybe okay. it's my nap alarm I missed, like, you know, from earlier. <laughs> Joe, doesn't, Joe doesn't know what time zone he's in. This guy's been on the move. Like, <laughs> Joe yeah. traveled back from Hall, uh, Carlstad and got back to the hotel before I was even awake today. So Joe's, just, uh, Joe's working. I haven't been. All right, next question. Come on up. Yeah, sure. Yep. Grab that mic and talk into that question. mic. Oh, my God. Don't let him distract you. You can take, yeah. take the question. It's all right. Perfect all right, we're gonna, we, we got a new guest coming up next. Perfect timing. Yep. LaPanta is in the house. Yeah. Uh, Heidi from Maple Plain. And first of all, I just want to give kudos to the Minnesota Wild organization for organizing this trip to Sweden. Yeah. And uh, thank you to Detroit. Ottawa and Toronto for not buying their tickets so we could bring more fans along to Sweden. Well, yesterday the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, learned very quickly how loud Minnesota Wild fans are. The Maple Leafs were on the ice during practice and there was let's we go wild. We started yeah. the chant. Yeah, exactly. In the back room. Yeah, yeah. it so was uh, like all the players we were, were like in. looking up and everything. So it was pretty awesome. cool. Um, I didn't really have an intelligent question to ask. I just wanted to get on the podcast. Uh. <laughs> but someone from my table asked me to ask the question. Um, there are a lot of head coaches in the hot seat right now in the NHL. Right. Who do you guys think is the next one that will get the axe? Well, I, I definitely think that DJ Smith's in a bit of a trouble here. I think we all thought the Puridorium was in deep trouble. Um, as the Ottawa Senators GM, and then obviously losing the draft pick gave them the perfect excuse to move on. But you had a new owner there, now a new president GM, and Steve, Steve Steos, um, DJ Smith, and you know incumbent. I, I think he's this is this could be a big weekend for him. Could be a big weekend for Dean. Um, you know, there's there's definitely last year there was one NHL coach fired all year long. This year it's cyclical. You know, there's a lot of pressure on teams to make the playoffs. There's a lot of teams underachieving a lot of teams like Vancouver, Anaheim, Detroit, all, you know, surprising a lot of people. Arizona's a pain in the butt to play. So that now puts pressure on a lot of other coaches. So um, DJ is probably the one that if I was a betting man, um, which I'm never, uh, that would probably. Except for in Vegas. Yep, yeah. Yep. So yeah. 
Yeah. I, think, I agree with you on, on DJ too. Like you have a new management, a new ownership. You're going to have take some time to evaluate and see that he isn't their guy, right? He's not the guy that they hired. So I think overall, he's the one of the guys on top of that list for now. And, and we'll see what happens. But that would be the one I'd pick too. Thanks for the question. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, really uh, happy to be joined by my, uh, and you can sit down there, um, by my other podcast co-partner uh, uh, for Seats in the House. Everybody hopefully listens to the Talk North Network, uh, Anthony LaPanta, the Wild's longtime play-by-play voice of Valley Sports North. Um, started during the, uh, started after the NHL lockout in 2012-13. So this is your 10th or 11th season now? This is 12. 12, yeah. This is the 12th year. 12th season, and uh, has been my p- podcast partner for uh, four or five, uh, and also my European uh, uh, vacation partner. So if you want to come to Portugal next year, defineddestinations.com. There you go. Um, Anthony, you just uh, uh, interviewed Gary Bettman for uh, for uh, your broadcast. What was the, What came out of that? Uh, really some hard-hitting questions. <laughs> yeah, talked about where his favorite spots in Stockholm are. It was good. It, it, it was interesting because there, so there's eight broadcasters over here, four television, four radio, and the commissioner comes to do these interviews, and it's each, there's eight guys in a row, and I'm sure he got the same questions eight times. So I tried to ask him one that was different. I said, I get asked all the time, like, if you were commissioner for a day, what would you change? I said, well, you are the commissioner today, so what would you change? And he didn't really understand that. <laughs> but uh, it was it was interesting. It was interesting to talk to him and and the way that these global events and this is a, this is a different one because they brought four teams this year, so that's yeah. that's kind of interesting. It's been fun to see the the buzz around the town. So many wild fans, it's unbelievable. Everywhere we've gone, it's bumping into people in Minnesota. I, I went to the Bassa Museum today, ran into a few wild, I don't know if the people I ran into are here today, but then I ran into Jared Spurgeon there too, so that was Yeah, so Felino was over there. Yeah, yeah. so it's been I great. think that's been, a great question fun. that you asked uh, Gary, and uh, does not shock me that Gary did not uh, find it as <laughs> funny as... really seem to, yeah, it was strange. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of the dolphin, there was he a great... with I am. Yeah. I, I, I understand that that was in the question. <laughs> <laughs> Have some fun, Gary, right? Have some yeah, fun it, here. It, yeah. It's just, uh, it's funny because, um, you know, it reminds me of, like Mike McDaniel, the, 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 it's Mike McDaniel, right? The Dolphins coach. Uh, that's yes. Like he just seems like a hilarious guy. And so the, they were just over in Germany and he opens up press conference to a room full of German reporters and says, I know what you're thinking. He looks bigger in, in person. And like, he, like this joke. And there was just silence. And he, then he's like awkwardly like, okay, first question. 
So I could just see like that you like with Gary Bettman, like basically, uh, you know, sort of in that in that realm. Is this so, like not no, no. So that's the podcast, Mike. That's oh, going to my. Yeah, pretty, so, yeah, yeah. But we got to let Joe uh, talk in that too. So right. double fist, but make sure when Joe talks that you give him that one back. Wow. There you go. You know, there's technology. I know, but it just seemed like this was the easiest way. Everybody yeah, else has seemed to get easy. it, right. except for Anthony, uh, Mr. Audiovisual. So, Anthony, Bally Sports North, uh, your thoughts. Uh, what's the future? Uh, today was a big day that uh, they basically are saying a year. It could be adios. Well, it could be. I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> it, it all, it's, I'm throwing him under the mic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, on, a, on you, a positive note, you might a, be unemployed in a couple of weeks. So there's uh, an 80, <laughs> I would say a 90% chance by Anthony's look when I asked that question that you have no idea what the news came up today. I have no idea yeah. what the news was today. And <laughs> uh, there's wow. that's yeah. a valid statement. But there, right. I, I mean, nothing, nothing would surprise me anymore yeah, at this yeah. point. And I know that there's... They're still trying to negotiate a new deal, even if a short-term deal with the Twins. We have the rights through the end of this hockey season, yeah. but a payment is due sometime. We In the summer, we had a point where, I think it was July 1st, maybe, that we had a payment mm-hmm. that was due. And so as of like June 29th, we didn't know if that was going to be our last show or not. Yeah. And we, our company made the payment like... I don't know, 24 hours before it was due, and, and we finished out the season. So I, every day my key card works, it's a good day right now. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if uh, your if your Bally's app isn't working during broadcast, you can just tweet at Anthony LaPantin. Reach out to me directly. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll uh, turn the switch on. He's been forgetting to turn it on lately for some bizarre reason. Joe, question for Anthony? Yeah, just like obviously a lot of issues going on with this team and trying to get their way out of this this funk. What are the, the main thing for you when you watch this team that they need to fix next this next couple of games to kind of get them a little bit mojo back for them? Well, they're not bankrupt, so that's a good thing. And <laughs> <laughs> that makes them one step better than Valley Sports North, I guess. Um, so we'll see. I, I think it's uh, they just they got to get a save. When the game is loose, every once in a while you just need a save. Yeah. You need a goalie to steal a game, but not even necessarily like steal a game. Just make a save to keep you in the game, and they haven't gotten that because as they get healthy, th- their structure defensively will return to form. Jared Spurgeon's loss was huge. I mean, this guy, he's an he's an elite defenseman. Plus, he's the leader of the team. He's the captain, and they ha- didn't have him for thirteen games, and didn't have him for thirteen games. During a stretch in the schedule where they played the Rangers twice and the Devils twice, the Maple Leafs, the Panthers, the Islanders, all the big boys in the East, and and then Dallas and L.A. from the West. And this is a pretty tough schedule to start. And to do it when you were missing key guys, missed Boldy for a chunk of that, that would have been a tough stretch no matter when it happened to mm-hmm. battle through it with injuries. And then you throw on top of it that I just don't think their goaltending has been good enough and or as good as expected. So I, I think they'll get some of that. But you got to kill a penalty. You have to eliminate some turnovers at the offensive blue line, and you got to get a save. And they've always done all of the things other than get a save just because it's the way they're built. They play with structure. They play with discipline, and that's been missing. So sometimes it just takes one game to play that way, and then you'll see a team rip off six, seven in a row. We saw it last year with this team. And all of a sudden they went, what was it, 10 games with 16 goals allowed after they had had a miserable start defensively. It wouldn't shock me to see something similar to that with this team this year. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Anthony, um, you know, really other than game one, the 41 save win over Florida, we haven't seen a goalie steal a game yet, and that is needed. Yeah, and we, we haven't even seen the one big save. There were so many games last year where 
down 100. 1-0, then yeah. Duffs would make a big save on a breakaway and keep it at 1-0. Well, yeah. this year, they're not only not stopping the breakaways, they're not stopping a shot from the circle when it's 2-zip and all of a sudden it's 3-zip and now you're upside down. And I, they just... That's got to be better. And the, the goaltenders haven't been they haven't been brutal, but they haven't been good enough. Last yeah. year they were third in the league in save percentage. This year they've been in the bottom five all year. And yeah. you can't win with that. So, Joe was on that last road trip with you to New York, New York, and Buffalo, and that's the way I felt that they're like they're the Wild were out playing the Buffalo Sabres dramatically, couldn't score, and at the end of the second period, Skinner gets the breakaway. That's where, like, I get that they're not scoring and there's a lot of pressure on Gus there. Gus has to make that save, Joe, yeah. doesn't he? He has to. And he did make those saves last year, yeah. right? Those were momentum swinging, like you mentioned, saves that can either sink or swim a team. And, you know, he'd be the first to tell you he's, you know, been playing a little more average than he was last year. And mm-hmm. um, he says that's not good enough in this league, especially, you know, uh, with, with his position. And he got the contract in the summertime. And I think a lot of people with the Wild believe he can be a number one goalie. And number one goalies make those saves, right? Those with the, Our consistency is the the backbone of what those guys are. And they need more from him and Marc-Andre Fleury, who I felt bad for on Sunday, however. That was not Marc-Andre Fleury's fault. Yep. A couple more minutes in the show. And full disclosure, the reason why is because the battery on this recorder that I'm sending the podcast is well, basically like blinking. Like, it's like a, plus, it's we like got some, plus, we got some raffle to yeah, do, too. Yeah, we got a raffle to do, but it's, we got the alarms and all this stuff. Anthony, I mentioned that you and I always do these Europe trips. We've been to... Um, We've been together. So I did uh, what Scotland and Ireland, and then we did uh, our first trip was to Tuscany, if I remember, and all throughout Italy, Innsbruck and uh, and uh, Salzburg and Munich and Lucerne. We did uh, Budapest, Prague, and Vienna. Last year we did C- Sicily. This is your first time up to Scandinavia. I had never been to Stockholm before August, and I loved it. And I kept. I remember. It- texting you from Stockholm, like, we are going to love this trip. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Stockholm I love first it. time here? I love it. it. What's crazy is it feels like we've been here forever, and I'm still two days away from doing a game. So yeah. it, it, I've had plenty Hopefully of time to prep. Hopefully you remember how. Yep. Yeah, I should know the Ottawa names and numbers by Saturday. I, I think it's uh, I think it's a great town. It's, I love the, the service has been terrific everywhere we've been. They take a lot of pride in it. The street, city streets are clean. It feels safe. The walking through the old town is really cool. Some of the other European towns we've been to, similar to that, and the, the food's been good. I, the people have been terrific. It's I, I liked everything about it so far, and I wish maybe we'd see the sun at some yeah. point before we leave. But other than that, it's been it's been great. Yeah, um, and last night actually, uh, Anthony and I went to dinner with Carter, and we were sitting next to five Ottawa Senators, and they looked like they were prime ready to go. Thomas Shabbat. I almost gave him a little pep talk because he's not doing really well for my uh, my fantasy, fantasy team. team. Yeah, but but that fantasy team was great. It got me a free dinner the first night yeah, yeah, in right. Stockholm. <laughs> See, there's always something that where Anthony has to pull out the obnoxious comment. So, um, Joe, so speak, speaking of that, I know you mentioned those European trips you guys do every summer, and this is not technically a roast, but I was just curious if you had any favorite Russo travel stories oh, you like Jesus. to to go back in, and uh, I'm sure the audience would love to hear it. <laughs> well. Let's see. Be kind. Yeah. There are several. There, there are several. Yeah. And, the whack, and the bad thing is that he can't come up with them because there's so many that it, he knows yeah. that will piss me off if he brings it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all valid. I, there are. There's one couple that's here in Stockholm that was is on most of these trips with us. I, yep, we John saw him the Annette. other day. John and Annette. Yep. Um, they're, oh, here they are. Yeah. They've been, I think, on every trip but one, maybe, if I remember right. And, yeah, we have a lot of fun on the trips. We really do. And, and. As Michael and I are are slightly different people in our personalities, so that becomes a great blend for the people on the trip. I think um, 
We have a lot of fun though, and yeah. we've had. Um, Let's see what we. I mean, there's so there's so many of them, but there's a there's usually we get Russo all riled up a couple times on the trip, and and it's it's that has some entertainment value. You know, think like I can't think of what the single best Russo story would be, but the one that I could think of that that isn't making fun of me, but it says a lot about my personality is when we went to Hallstatt, which this is a beautiful beautiful uh city in germany oh yeah and i left my mom left your we mom had a behind. tour and yep. my mom was just not well fast enough i mean there's there's the there's, there's plenty of barbara russo stories with my because we yeah. ride a bus every day Listen, almost she was not every happy. day no and and yeah. most of the time she sits up in the front michael sits somewhere in the back and just says somebody else sit by my mom now and <laughs> And I don't know if that's accurate. That, that's, I just like that's to sit happened. in the back of the bus. Right. No, that's happened That's a usually few where times, the dolls are, and, you know, there's a lot of humor back there. Right, yeah. There's some humor in the front with Peter, our guide. But, no, that's, it's fun to watch Barbara interact with Michael, and, uh, you know, that, that brings some entertainment. Yeah. We had, we had, we've had she's some like adventures. the biggest wild fan there is. I mean, it's, Yeah, she is. And she, she's the biggest Russo fan there is. Yeah. But we had... We've had uh, we've had airports burned down. We've had yeah. bus drivers disappear. We've had yeah. we've had a fair number of interesting things happen on these trips. But and that we've was also, just this last one. That was the last one. <laughs> yeah, and we, but we've had so we've seen some unbelievable things too. And our, the guys who put it together yeah. know these cities. Yeah. So every time we go, they're like, "Hey, this is this little secret spot." We walked through the bunkers that connected Hitler's house to Himmler's house, and when we were in Germany, we went to the Eagle's Nest. We went to Hallstatt. This little town that you until a couple of years ago you could only reach there by boat there were no roads getting in there and and it was just these unbelievable experiences that yeah. we had and there's and uh, a lot of wine there is a lot of wine yeah and and usually some food mixed in but and some great stories so we have yeah. a blast it's yeah we tried to get the wild ceo to go on this next trip uh, but, uh didn't yeah see that there. might put a little bit of a hindrance on the stories we could tell but yeah exactly <laughs> Or he might just join in. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, thanks, Anthony, for coming yeah, by absolutely. here. Uh, yeah, we'll have to go grab a drink and do dinner uh, right after this. If you want to stick around? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this raffle here in a bit and wrap up the podcast. Do you have a question though? You've been sitting there patiently. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Peter, I come on in up. Line and, and yeah, yeah. Jump right in front of all the question askers. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, this question actually comes. All the way from Minnesota for okay. my son Zach, who is home watching our dog while we're here enjoying. Oh, the wild. Zach must be pissed. He well, he's working, so he's, he's okay. he'll get his day. Um, so his question is: the future of the wild rests on management's ability to woo Krill. Mm. When will they finally step up and um, to the plate and get some red jerseys? Yeah, um, I think it's a yeah. Um, I think that. Well, are you talking red jerseys like as in other Russians? Yeah. So, I mean, the hope is that Husandinov and Europe are going to be two of those guys. There's no doubt about that. Um, but to your point, and I know that they are worried about this because Craig Leopold brought it up to us in the suite at the beginning of the season when he had his annual, uh, you know, writers join, media join in the, for the exhibition game where he, they've got to start showing him, not financially, but that there's a future here that is bright. And that they are going to need that he sees that there's a long way to win. You know, Kirill wants to win and you have to have a quality supporting cast for that. So regardless of nationality, I definitely think that's a big point. But to your son's point, I think that Kirill, because he's such a nice, likable guy, 
actually downplays the fact that he would like some Russians around him. And one of his buddies that I know really well talked to me about that this summer. He's like, you have no idea when you don't, and I don't have any idea because I'm a dumb American that speaks no other language. You don't understand that when you, when, you know, English is your second language and you're a Russian and you're coming over, how exhausting it is on an everyday basis to go out and have to every single word that's being talked, translate it in your own head, communicate. It just becomes a t- cumbersome thing. So you just want that common bond of somebody like that. Um, you know, I, I, I won't say who, but I ran into two Maple Leafs walking on the streets today and they were the same nationality. You know, and I think that sometimes there's that comfort in that. We used to see that with the Slovaks here with Radovojevic, uh, Dimitra and, and Gabrik. So I, I do think there's a valid point to what Zach's saying. So it's a good good question. So I saw that too in Tampa quite a bit. You know, they had Kucherov, you know, Sergeyev, Vasilevsky, and like all of them had their own unique rookie moments when they first came in. They always had a they always had a, a set security blanket of having guys. Let's go to this Russian restaurant in New York. Let's go here, come over to the house and have a meal or watch the game or watch UFC. So it's not a game changer, but it does help to have those guys. You get more comfortable in your own skin, comfortable in the language, comfortable with your team, and all of a sudden you start to, to play better. So um, I, I agree with your son's question. It's interesting to see, but we'll see what these guys, like a year off from Kusandinovs and what their timeline is and what they can be ready. Because they have to be ready before you bring them up. Right. Um, so good good question by both of you. Uh, question. And then we're going to wrap up the uh, pod here in a couple seconds and do the raffle, which I know everybody's been waiting for. So, um, my name is Becca. I'm from Lino Lakes, Minnesota. Thanks. Um, and my family's been talking about, well, I grew up watching Bugard play, and we've been talking about some of the physicality of the wild lately. Mm-hmm. We were wondering how you think maybe um, with the team on kind of a losing streak, how they might use the physical players or how that might play. Yeah, I mean, that was such a huge point of, um, it was a huge onus at the end of last season, the whole grit first thing and and I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're nearly as physical this year, um, nearly as gritty. We've seen, you know, maybe it's partly because they're not blocking shots and sacrificing the way that I've grown accustomed to watching this team play. Um, but what do you, what's your belief on that? I mean, they have physical players and guys like Bogosian and Middleton and, and Maroon and Felino. Well, I think part of that do, do we? It showed up a lot more when they had the puck in the offensive zone, right? And they were using that cycle and they were kind of being ran the forecheck. Um, and they had the lead a lot of times too. They were able to play that style, and now they're really they're chasing it as much, and they're not. You know, it's harder to be physical when you don't have you know chasing the puck a lot around. So um, I think they have the the guys there, like the Felinos, the Hartmans, the Maroons. Uh, the blue line now is Bogosian, but I think overall, you know, not having the you know that offensive game where they've been in the forecheck and aggressively cycling and everything. That that's where they get the zone time. That's where they get they wear teams down shift after shift, and they really haven't had it consistently this year. Final question of the podcast. The honor goes to you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Elizabeth from Lionel Lakes, Minnesota. Becca's my sister. Hey. Um, I was, I think, the last By the way, I got to <laughs> just quickly interrupt and compliment the incredible Nick Schultz jersey oh, that know. you are wearing. So, my, might be one of my favorite players that I've ever covered on Minnesota <laughs> and one of the great human beings. I've ever covered on Minnesota, so we're <laughs> big Schultz fans. Yes. Um, so I think the Wild are like bottom of the league in penalty kills right now, and Lapanta seem to be really putting a lot of pressure on like the goaltenders for that. Yeah. Why do you think it'll take in front of the crease too to try to get us out of there? Yeah. Um, I'm in agreement with Anthony from the standpoint like if you actually look at the analytics, even the low danger save percentage, they're not very good at. So that puts a lot of that. That correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. I mean that that 
basically is saying also they're not getting saves, too. Now, they're giving up way too many chances from the house, so to speak, the high-danger mid-range areas, but they're not getting saves even on, like, and, and if you look in the playoffs last year, I mean, they weren't getting saves off face-offs and things like that. So Yeah, I think when it comes to that, you're struggling. You have to keep it simple, right? You have to work your butt off. And I think they're getting outwilled at times for those loose pucks in front of the net. Guys are having too much, too much space in front, either for deflections or for screens or just rebounds. And so I think when you do that, you have to make sure block, block more shots, you know, box out the crease. That maybe you can let your goalie see the puck and see the shots going in there. But overall, when they're scrambling around like this and they're chasing and their confidence is a little bit shaken, get back to doing what you did your whole entire life and keep it simple. Block some shots, be physical. And just play that sound defensive game. That'll help your goaltenders make those saves that maybe they're struggling to make right now. Well, this was a uh, awesome, awesome podcast. I really, uh, genuinely mean this. I, I did not know what to expect. I thought maybe twenty people, maybe uh, we got like three hundred here that At came least, yeah. and bus came, it was organized and uh, really, really awesome. Um, just really, really also want to thank uh, O'Leary's Twelve here. Uh, right next to Avicii Arena, where these four games this week are being played. Um, again, same thing. It could not have been easier and more hospitable in planning this. Um, and they were just, again, no deposit, nothing. We just told them what we wanted. They reserved the whole upstairs for us, set up the sound system, created an entire menu, have signage all over this place. Um, so really, really incredible establishment here in Stockholm, right outside Stockholm, O'Leary's Tove. So thanks a lot. Thanks, for, as always, for everybody listening to uh, Straight from the Source. Uh, the Athletic Hockey Show is published five times a week. There are hosts, Ian Mendez, Julian McKenzie, Haley Salvian, Sean Gentili, Max Boltman, and Corey Promman, with contributions from our writers, including Mark Lazarus, Jesse Granger, Down Goes Brown, Shana Goldman, and myself. In fact, uh, this week on the Athletic Hockey Show on Tuesday, you can hear my interview with Bill Guerin. Uh, find episodes on the Athletic Podcast Network and wherever you download your podcast. You can subscribe to the Athletic NHL's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. My special thanks, as always, Joe Smith, my partner in crime here at the Athletic and this incredible venue here in Sweden and, uh, and Anthony Lapanza, Chris Johnston and the 300 folks that came on out. Straight from the Source will be returning soon. My next guest, I believe, will be Ryan Carter. And uh, um, Ryan and I have a very, very fun interview being planned at some point here in the upcoming future. Thanks for everybody coming out, and now we're going to give away some gifts. <laughs> <laughs>